0: Welcome to the Daniel Cleland podcast, plant medicine, entrepreneurship, expat living. The Daniel Cleland podcast. Welcome to the show, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I have a very interesting and special guest, Sultara alumni. Podcast host, conscious leadership coach, Amanda Bucci, female entrepreneur. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. You describe me as interesting, which is <laughs> people don't usually choose that word, but I'm glad to be interesting.
0: Well, I mean you're a very highly motivated uh young lady. You're you're involved in entrepreneurship and in creating media and in helping other I'm not sure if you coach women and men, but you definitely coach women um, to Mm -hmm. succeed. I I know a couple of our mutual friends are working with you, like Whitney Miller, right? She's very excited to be working with you. Yeah. Um, And of course, um, you know, we had a short interview when you were at Soltara last year. Mm -hmm. That was, uh, geez, that was like over a year ago. Just about a
1: year ago. Yeah, yeah. A year. It was on, it was a New Year's. Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, it was <laughs> it, awesome.
0: If you only knew what you were getting into for 2020, right? On that New Year's Eve.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, glad, that, I'm glad that I got to end the year that way and start fresh because I, I needed it to prepare <laughs> for what was to come, which was, which was very beneficial.
0: So how did 2020 shape up for you? Because, you know, for some people, it was like the best year of their life. And for other people, it was like the worst year of your life. And some people just kind of continued yeah. on doing their thing
1: yeah it was I feel like a lot of people had a combination of both like some of the most challenging things they've ever been through, but a lot of people have also had some of the best things they've ever experienced and it was a um it was definitely that for me. there was really really difficult things, mostly, not necessarily in my business, like the coaching business continued to do really well, and I'm in the middle of writing a book right now, which is just personal and doesn't get affected by anything on the outside until It's out there. And then I'm in the middle of launching a new personality quiz, entrepreneurial archetype uh, business. So that's, again, to the side. So things kind of normalized for me in business, but in personal life, um, a lot of things happened. A lot of just like internal, lots, lots of ego deaths, what I can describe it. Lots of shadow work in my life, which has been Highly beneficial, but in the middle of it all, it was extremely challenging as it is. So yeah, it was a, it was a mixed bag. Um, but I do feel like a more strong and capable and resilient person on the other side of it.
0: Mm. So then, when yes. you left uh, when you left Soltara at the beginning of twenty twenty, you um, you and John explain. John is still your partner partner? okay okay well congrats on that another year and a half year and a bit in the bag that's uh that's good for you guys um so what was your uh journey like after you left Soltara? you know you you were you went through our integration program and you know we didn't get to talk about any of that because obviously you were still at Soltara when we talked so yeah
1: yeah Yeah. no the uh Integration has definitely been a huge word for me this year, and that that really kicked off the process after the the journeys that we went through. And um, it was as it as it goes quite the upheaval for me, and in, in what brought what it brought up on an internal level. So it did require me to do a good bit of integration thereafter to really. Um, not just maintain what I experienced, but to really transform the way that I was um, thinking, feeling, behaving, and taking everything that I experienced and really um, implementing it into my life. And it was challenging in the beginning, but it eventually turned into this changed way or changed sense of self or uh, an altered or upgraded kind of version of me, which feels really, really awesome. Um, and it also kind of catalyzed this really interesting experience I've been having with a lot of my journeys as of late, where one of the one of the things that I experienced, which didn't really seem a whole uh particularly profound at the time in terms of any like information that was going to help me along my journey. but after having looked back over this year, i've had a lot of journeys, and the first one was with ayahuasca at soltara, where I experienced in the medicine space, like a, hi- a highly sensitive experience of feeling energy and feeling um, my energy centers open up and almost experiencing the human body doing all of the involuntary physiological processes that it just does without us knowing them. So I, I be- I've become this like highly sensitive person in medicine spaces where I'm like, Burping and sweating, and I'm like doing body work on myself intuitively, and I'm just like sensing so much in my body. It's like a very somatic experience. And looking back now, just having the conversation with you, I didn't really, didn't even realize it, but it's become something that is become a core tenant in my medicine experiences as of late. So it's still something I'm I'm working on, but it's it's almost like it catalyzed an increased sensitivity, which has allowed me to be more discerning about what's in my space and what's mine and what's not. So that's been a huge thing.
0: Do you follow Ed Milet at all?
1: A little bit. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've been listening to a lot of his stuff lately and um, he, he, he talks a lot about this concept that I find really super relevant and very easy to understand the concept of how our self-concept or our own self-identity, our own self-conception affects how we operate in the world and, and what surrounds us in the world and the people that surround us, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. The list goes on. Yeah. And he uses the thermostat example. So it's like, you know, if you if you look at a the thermostat in your home, say it's set to 72 degrees. And if the, the room cools down to 60 degrees, then the heater kicks on and heats up the room to 72. And if the, if the room gets hotter than 72 degrees, goes up to 80 degrees, air conditioning kicks on and brings it down to 72. And a lot of us operate at that kind of room temperature, the, the 72 degrees. But if yeah. you look at, you know, the, the people who achieve the most in life and are the most successful they operate at a hotter temperature. So maybe they're running at 100 degrees or 150 degrees. And if they get down to, you know, 72 degrees, their heater flips on and they're, and they're heating up the room. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting you mentioned that in your, in your ayahuasca experience, you, you had some what sounded like upgrades to, to your uh, self-conception, self-identity.
1: Yeah. Yeah, 100%. That's a really cool. Yeah, I I I think about things in that way as well. Just um the way that you see yourself, it's and it, it's so automatic. It's so unconscious. It's so just what I experienced was also just how much the body is doing without us even knowing it. Because I was experiencing so much of what it was doing with the ayahuasca having had opened me up. So with that, it's it, it's like So much is happening without us even realizing what we're doing or how we're doing it. And, you know, people talk about your vibration is a choice or your, you know, relationship to certain things and how you react and interact is a choice. And I agree to some extent, but I also, things are automatic, things we don't always recognize what's unconsciously occurring and until we bring conscious awareness to that and then learn how to work with the things that are so, that feel like so important or they feel like needs or they feel like we can't not do something or we can't avoid experiencing something because it feels so important for us to have it. And until we look at like what's actually happening there, what's the unconscious driver and the thing that feels so intertwined with the fabric of who we actually are, and think that medicines like ayahuasca can really bring out, like, okay, let me see and look at this fabric, and let me like unravel what's what's really intertwined in here, and do I still need this? Is this still serving me?
0: Yeah, yeah. Amen to that. I mean, yeah. the The efficiency and functionality of our body is. Yeah. Is such an underlying factor to uh, how we feel. I mean, like our happiness, our emotional well-being, and the energy that we have in the world, and the ability that we, uh, the, the ability that we have to go out and achieve what we want to achieve. And mm-hmm. if you if you don't take care of that body, then all the other things suffer. So, yeah, I think yeah. you know a lot of people in my experience see this work with the medicine as kind of like a diagnostic on the body. Like everything is amplified. All these different little right. feelings are amplified and you can like, it's like in, right. in some cases you can feel if there's an energetic blockage or you can feel if there's something going on in like a joint. And a lot of people talk about, about healing themselves just like utilizing the power of the mind and, 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 and energy um, yeah. during the ceremony itself.
1: Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I've, I've, I've thought about that quite a bit and it's, it's, um, the amplification of what's already there is absolutely something that shows up for me almost every single time. And I get to, you know, I'm still such a student of it and we're all, we're all so, so much students of our own experience of ourselves and, um, especially of, of the medicines that have so much to teach us, but there's, for me, I've learned how much information really can live in all of the places in my body that feel stuck, that feel stressed, that feel tension, that feel pain. And starting to work with that type of experience and that type of understanding of myself has created so much, um, such a, just an expanded view in considering what can I do to move this energy or what can I do to learn about what's actually here for me? And can I feel into this pain or can I feel into this tension and can I commune with it and can I understand what it's trying to signal to me.
0: And try to learn from it and yeah. fix it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, that too. <laughs> what? uh what other salient mm, experiences did you did you get in the ayahuasca space?
1: Yeah one of the one of the big ones that I talk about a lot um is this experience of, it came to me in a very sensory somatic way that I then later interpreted, which I'll share. But the experience that I had was going into this almost what I describe as like a labor space. And I've never been pregnant, so I don't actually know what labor feels like, but that's the word that came to me because not necessarily like pushing out the baby but more so the space in between contractions where you're the woman is in pain and just staying there and hanging out there like I'm fucking in this until it's done and I'm just going to have to sit in this pain and like how can I and it wasn't physical pain it was more like extreme discomfort like sometimes when um the maestros were coming around to sing the eikeros they it like hit me in like a really gross way. And I just like was, it was like super discomfort. Like we were, you know, salt deprived, sweets deprived. Uh, The only thing that felt a little comforting was like the warm weather in Costa Rica. (laughs) But, you know, I was like wanting to like grab onto a pillow or like someone to like comfort me because I was just like alone in this kind of yucky discomfort. And I was, you know, I had some nausea. Um, but the nausea wasn't even like the primary experience. It was just like yucky, like, Like, it was just like this gross. And in my mind, I was seeing this, like, what I described as like a, a swamp. It was mucky and there was like black tar and like, it was dark and just like, just disgusting. And I just, I interpreted that as the swamp where repressed emotions go to fester and turn into something else. They turn into like, like when we repress or suppress what we're feeling or like what's actually true for us. And for me, I went in and um, I grew up Catholic. So I remember going to confession being like, if I don't tell the priest, God's not going to know what I did. <laughs> you know. <laughs> so same thing with, uh, with ayahuasca. I was like, if I don't write this thing that I didn't want to talk about on my intentions list, I won't have to look at it or I won't have to think about it or feel it. Um, and when I went into the ayahuasca, obviously it doesn't work that way. It shows you what's there to show you what's, what's really true. So it showed me this place where like, this is what happens when you're not observing or looking at a truth that's like eating at you, or that's really causing you pain because of whatever fear you have about what, what it would mean for you to work through it. So, and then I also saw, that what happens when we're not looking at what's true, like the thing that we're avoiding, the thing that we don't wanna pay attention to, look at, talk about, it's over here and we know it's true, but we don't really wanna look at it. All of these other things I saw come from that swamp. Like, okay, now I'm gonna give you yucky thoughts and judgments and behaviors and it's gonna like seep out through you in one way or another. So it was a super interesting visual to see like what, what can really happen when we're with our emotions and with our truth when we're not looking at it. So that was the biggest thing for me. It was, it was intense.
0: <laughs> I know exactly what you're talking about. There's yeah. a special kind of discomfort that you get in an ayahuasca ceremony. You know, it's special, just... It's very special. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it, can be, uh, it can be a bit of a battle you know just just and it it's hard to really define it's like your body's running hot you feel sweaty you feel cold you're you can't sit still you're not comfortable on the mat you know you yeah. want you feel kind of nauseous and then you 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 know you kind of want it to stop but then it's not stopping and you yeah to All me that. yeah to me the value in that uh has proven itself over and over in life in life since i started working with the medicine um and being able to go through those periods of discomfort and have the mentality like you described where it's like okay this isn't this isn't going away i just have to deal with it right like i have to get through this and and then you just try to make the best of it while it's while it's taking place and i think that builds up Resilience but that builds up mental resilience by doing that, mm-hmm. which is very useful for life, right? And, and and if one is more resilient, one feels more confident.
1: Yes. Yeah. One hundred percent. I totally agree with you.
0: And um, also touching on on how you identified that swamp of unprocessed emotions that's another important revelation. You you know, we, we can try to bury the things that we don't want to see, that we don't want to acknowledge the issues that we don't want to commit to processing, but Mm. they don't really go away. They kind of sit there. And then, you know, that, that works on the subconscious level along with you know, having an unhealthy body, if you've got an unhealthy body that works at a subconscious level, if you got unprocessed issues that works at a subconscious level and is going to affect everything in your periphery, basically.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, uh, the medicine will reveal that to you. It'll bring it out. It'll show you what's, um, what you're not looking at. And, and that's absolutely one of the reasons why people are not comfortable with going into that unknown ceremonial space where you're consuming something that's going to, kind of help you access that and it's not always beautiful and comfortable it's oftentimes actually not but like I said on the other end of that it did feel like a deep upgrade like a like a extreme upgrade of self upgrade of um integrity upgrade of um ability to move forward with less um patterns running certain things so the underlying truth got to be accessed I was forced to commit to process it because it was right in front of me which I would have had to do anyway so which I'm grateful and from there um whatever was underneath that that was driving my desire or my need to suppress it got to be looked at as well for which I'm very grateful so it's it's an interesting it's an interesting mistress Mm -hmm. Ayahuasca.
0: (laughs) did Did ayahuasca have any effect on how you work with your clients in the subsequent year? Mm,
1: yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I think one of the one of the things that i one of the things that I've taken from any medicines, ayahuasca showed me this one hundred percent, was a a huge sense of empathy. For what people may be experiencing. And I can almost, I've been practicing and I can almost see what might be driving people at any given moment. And also recognize that whatever I'm seeing is 100% a projection, but recognizing how much is happening with humans at the surface level, at the mid levels, at like the deep, deep core levels. So, it's provided me an expansion of my perception of human beings, and especially with everything that's been going on in the world lately, it's been ex- it's been interesting for me because I can see people with such a, a wide lens, and I mm. can see a lot of different perspectives. And when, you know, on the human level, on like the the person to person, the systemic oppression level, the level of um, humans are actually you know, people are in danger right now. There's a lot of really horrible shit going on in the world. On that level, it's like people need to be treated accordingly um, and things have to change. And on the, let's just say more transpersonal transpersonal or spiritual level, um, there's a perspective I have where I'm just like, I can see how they may have got there based on their mm. trauma or their surroundings or their um, community or the echo chambers in which we live where, you know, different ideas are perpetuated. We have like a divided country for a reason. And, and it's hard not to see that anymore. So I've been balancing, um, not using that as a, as a way to spiritual bypass and also honoring humanity and protecting people and dangerous people and, and dangerous behavior over here. And then also just I can, I can see a lot that is potentially going on with any given person at any given time.
0: Man, that's such a useful tool. And it would be so much better if more people were able to consider the nuance of every person when, when, yeah. when trying to work with them or, you know, judging them or, or trying to make sense of them. Because, you know, it, it often is the tip of the iceberg. What you see on the surface is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and what mm-hmm. you've got below, you've got, you know, you don't know what their pain point is. You don't know what kind of trauma <clears throat> they've experienced in their lives. You don't know what their history has been, what their family life is like. You know, you don't know how many times they've had their heart broken by somebody. And um, you know, we're, we're yeah. these days, we're so quick to judge people without even considering the nuance of that individual.
1: Yeah, I love I love nuance. If I have one pet peeve, I don't have a whole lot of like pet peeves, but one pet peeve I do have is when people don't consider context and nuance. Because um, we're like you said, we're so quick to make full blown human judgments on the worst level. What we do is we'll literally a human will do one behavior and we'll put them in the bad human evil forever bucket. Yeah. Like you are just a toss away irredeemable human being, and you're now over there in my head, which is also deeply traumatizing and it just creates more shame and it creates more separation. And then it, and then from there, there's so much that gets catalyzed from being shamed and canceled and, um, all of that, which again, not to say that some people shouldn't because they're a danger to society and blah, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) But also, um, I, I, definitely think that a lot more can get done if we can, incorporate nuance and context and not be so driven by our emotional reactions to things and be more resilient, um, and more capable of experiencing a expanded perspective and acknowledging our feelings, seeing like most things are, most conflicts are driven by emotion and like deep belief. Um, and if we can expand our belief system, if we can not just control our emotions, but understand how to work with them. So that's not the core thing that's driving us to take actions or to judge people. And then we can actually understand how human beings work, which I think the medicines do really well. It's help us understand how our human exists in this world. How what I, one thing I experienced at Soltara was like the human organism as a being in the ecosystem of other organisms, like we watch on Animal Planet, like the amoeba that like does this thing. And then there's different relationships with different animals. And like, this is how they coexist in the world. And this is their biology. And this is how they mate with others. And this is how they do this. I felt like that with humans. And I was like, oh, this is a human organism and this is how we interact with the world and this is how we're disconnected from nature and this is how we're disconnected from our essence. But also this is how the psyche works and this is how the body works. And uh, yeah, I think there's so much benefit to having an understanding of how we work on a biological, spiritual and emotional and mental level to be able to support being able to make better decisions with how, how we're interacting with other people that we don't agree with
0: absolutely and if you put that together with processing your emotional issues and keeping your physical body in prime operating condition you're going to be one powerful human being right yeah 100 um so you also mentioned that you worked with a number of different other medicines you mentioned journeys I'm assuming that meant medicines of of different types what uh, what other medicines do you like to work with
1: um, I've done a good bit of psilocybin, um, LSD, ketamine, and I've done a couple of DMT, uh, experiences as well. Um, those were ceremonial. Some of them are ceremonial. Some of them are, are not, but they, um, to me that building, building relationships with them that allow me to understand myself better, um, has been one of the most powerful and expansive things that I've tools that I've utilized to to grow to heal to experience more of myself. Um so I've worked with them over the last 3 years now. So it hasn't been too long, maybe two. I think going into 3 now. Yeah. 3
0: years working with various different medicines.
1: Mhm. Yeah.
0: Do you do you have a favorite?
1: I have a favorite. Um yeah, you know, I've had an interesting relationship with each of them. Right now, I'm going through, like I told you in the beginning, this experience where I'm, I'm having a lot of uh, energetic sensitivities, um, which I'm, like, experiencing as learning how to um, feel a lot and then maintain my own energetic boundaries, which essentially means I, I'm experiencing, um, like other people's stuff coming through my body when I'm on, let's just say LSD or, or psilocybin, and the way that I've experienced that as of the last like four to five months has been, uh, like I've been rocked the next day. So I'm my relationship with with those two specifically have been um, <laughs> have just been like. Okay, I'm processing this like new level of sensitivity that I have, so they've been wonderful, and I'm like not not taking a break from them, but it's been it's been more of like, okay, let me process what this means for me, which basically means I'm going into them knowing that I'm gonna have um I wouldn't say like a rough experience, but like a physically demanding one, perhaps. Mm. So the one that I've been enjoying lately that has, I've had some like really great processing conversations on it with John, my partner has been ketamine, um, which is something I've only recently started maybe like three months ago or so. And it's been, it's been an interesting one. It doesn't, um, have that same effect on me as, uh, mushrooms or, or, or LSD has It, is a dissociative. So it takes me more out of my body than it does like keeps me in my body. So I don't have that same physically demanding experience where I'm like processing what's going on in my physical self. So, um, but what it has provided is this like, it's allowed me to, I've been been experiencing this great um, vibe shift or like mood shift into a more like neutral space. So if I'm in... um, If I feel, if I've been in like a more stuck space and we've used it for some processing, like emotional processing conversations, there's been a really great ability to maintain this like neutrality, like let's objectively discuss everything that's going on and we can process this with like a different lens. And it's subtle, but it's been really, really awesome to be able to process with that kind of different lens. So that's something Mm. that I've been using as of late.
0: Cool. I've never, I've experienced ketamine on a number of occasions. I haven't yeah. done it in a clinical setting, though. I have never okay, injected cool. it. And I've never done it in a clinical setting. Yeah. But um, I have had some profound psychedelic experiences with ketamine. Yeah. And yeah. back in 2017, you know, I was analyzing whether or not to proceed with Soltara. I, I was quite scared. Of of right. the commitment and how much work it was going to be, and the yeah. risk, and I recall being at a at a friend's uh, birthday party in Ibiza, a thirtieth birthday party, and uh, we were having some ketamine there, and I had a very deep psychedelic experience, and I didn't even really know that ketamine could be so psychedelic, yeah. but it's like, it's, it's as much a psychedelic as anything else. I mean, it's not classified as that, but it can be similar. Right. Right. And I I saw this vision of the finished product. Like I mm-hmm. I saw this vision of, it wasn't quite accurate. My vision like had other people involved who didn't end up getting involved and stuff like that. But at the end sure. of the day, it, I felt like I had seen the future and that I, okay, I need to proceed with this now. <laughs> so, yeah, um, right. So, yeah. yeah that's I, I, <laughs> uh, and I think that was probably the last time that I've, uh, I've had ketamine in 2017. But mm. it's an interesting uh, compound, and a lot of people are talking about it right now. You're seeing a sure. lot of ketamine being included in like anti-aging treatments like uh, Dr. Craig Conover, who I think mm. you probably know. Do you know, Craig?
1: No, no, I don't. No? Oh, okay. No, I'll go follow him.
0: He's good. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're mixing ketamine with the NAD treatments that people yeah. are taking and uh, it's getting a lot of yeah. attention. I did a podcast with... Yeah, Tim um, Ferriss. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. <sighs> ahead. I'll, I'll talk after. Okay. I was just
1: gonna say uh sorry. Zoom is always so funny with the back and forth. You go and I'll go.
0: All right, I'll go. I was just going to say I did a podcast uh last week with uh with a guy named Peyton Nyquist, who founded Numinous, which is this Canadian company. It's just gotten uh uh, it won IPO. So it's a publicly traded Canadian company focused on psychedelics. And they literally got a uh, federal permission from the Canadian government to work with ketamine and psilocybin and uh, I think uh, MDMA. So, yeah, you know, great. it's, it's growing. Now yeah. you were going to say something about Tim Ferriss.
1: Yeah. I, uh, I listened to one of his podcasts recently about his, he, um, had a whole, I think it was a two-hour podcast about his childhood sexual trauma that he talked through with with a a co-host of his. And um, he was being really thorough about his adding in of little um, potential medications and like discussing different tools and modalities and things like that. And he mentioned ketamine for depression. Um, They're studying it for treatment of depression and suicidal ideation even. And he mentioned like if you're feeling, um, like if you don't have, he he was talking about a certain, uh, antidepressant medication and he was talking about how the, um, the oftentimes there's, well, there is a period of time where you are still adjusting to, um, the, the new medicine that you're on. And if there's a period where you're feeling particularly suicidal, when you're still adjusting to different medications, ketamine can be a great additive for that. So he mentioned that specifically. And I, that was, something that caught my eye. And I was like, Oh, that's interesting. I'd be curious to try. Um, not for myself. I don't, I don't experience that. But John, my partner has had depression for uh, 20 years and he's spoken publicly about a few suicide attempts that he's had. So it didn't oh, wow. catch my eye. Either. Yeah. Yeah. He's shared it on a couple of podcasts and on his own. Um, he has an article on his website, Johnromanello.com slash depression, which is like a 7,000 word article that's gotten around quite a bit. And he's been public about that. So it caught my eye. Um, And it's, yeah, it's been like a really cool exploration. And it's really awesome to see so much testing going on and so much clinical usage that's been super beneficial. And I feel like I'm curious what your thoughts are on that, just how quickly that's going to transform uh, the medicinal healing space.
0: (sighs) I mean it's moving at breakneck speed really yeah, and nice and again this conversation I had last week with Peyton he he explained to me that you know when cannabis was on the table when cannabis right. was being legalized especially at the federal level in Canada right the whole country right. you can smoke cannabis anywhere you want you can buy it I mean in my hometown yeah. you can go down you can go down to the store and buy some cannabis and you know when yeah. I was younger it was the opposite of that. Right. <laughs> you go to yeah, jail super. if you have cannabis. You get caught for possession. You go to jail and yeah. get a criminal record. And then you're just considered a delinquent for the rest of your life. But um, when, when cannabis was on the table, it was met with a lot of skepticism. Because nobody thought that it could actually happen. Could you actually get cannabis legalized across right. the whole country? And, and he was... In, in the funding space. So he was working for private equity and funding different cannabis companies. And, and for him, it was difficult to get the money for the cannabis companies because there was so much fear and skepticism around the success of it going legal and, and the management and, and the political ramifications and everything like that. He just raised $40 million for, for his new company. And Damn. he said it was met with basically zero skepticism. Now that cannabis wow. has gone legal, yeah, people are just accepting the fact that okay, well, MDMA's next and psilocybin's next, right, and uh, ketamine's next. So, you know, he is riding the wave right now. And I don't think it's going to slow down at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, you, sure. you
0: look at uh, the founder of of maps, uh, Rick Doblin.
1: Yeah.
0: And I, I just saw an article featuring him the other day that explained his view of the future, which will have thousands of treatment centers across the U S offering different types of psychedelic therapies and medicines. So I think, yeah, absolutely. In five years, it's going to look a lot different than it does even in three years, probably even in two years.
1: Yeah. 100%. Yeah. And I think, um, I've shared a, I've shared uh, some with my audience. I did some podcasts after I left Soltara, and people were really interested and curious. And um, you know, it's probably similar to, similar to where cannabis was just a couple of years ago, where people are like, "How do you get it and do it legally and safely?" And where, who, what, how? And you know, people are interested and curious, but don't have the safe spaces. So I always recommend, like, if you want to dive in. To, to ayahuasca as your first one. Um, one of the girls that I was with at the retreat, her name's Stephanie. We became really good friends after uh, ayahuasca was her first psychedelic experience that she's ever done. So it's something that you can dive into uh, first if you want to, but also just having spaces and safe places for people to go to access it to try it and to experience it for themselves. And um I'm I'm super excited for that and I definitely see how quickly it's moving and you guys are on the the cutting edge of that too, which is super exciting. I love that.
0: Yeah, I mean, trying to be, trying to play our 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 part and our very small part in this big massive barrel of a wave that's uh that's uh coming up right now. Um you know, I actually I spent a bit of time in Brazil as well um a few years ago and worked with the the Santo Daime and the União Vegetal these two ayahuasca religions in Brazil and yeah. they have they, they they drink ayahuasca every weekend like that's their thing like yeah. like they're psychedelics every weekend they get together it's like a social uh-huh. it's like a religion right they get together yeah. it's their social bonding and they they bring right. the kids and everyone drinks ayahuasca they have they do it in a bit of a different format but the point i'm getting at is psychedelics on the regular can be a good thing they've done very well these religions uh very beneficial for the people and um and uh i think dennis mckenna did a study back in the 90s with some other people on uh, serotonin levels so they um they they measured people's serotonin levels for those people who drank ayahuasca regularly and they constantly had elevated serotonin. So, wow. you know, if you've got thousands of treatment centers around the country and people are having access to psychedelics of all kinds on the regular, and you could see a transformation of culture as well. So maybe there's less yeah. alcohol consumption. Maybe there is, you know, yeah. more mindfulness practices being done, better health being taken care of, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I, I drink less alcohol personally. Um, it's just less interesting to me now, not as like a, this is less fun, but more of like it, I feel the difference in my body physically of how alcohol affects my body versus how a psychedelic would affect my body. Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating, like over the last couple of years of of increasing psychedelic journeys versus drinking alcohol. And I wasn't a huge drinker before, but I definitely drank in college and I would have drinks casually and i have i do it a lot less now Mm. it's interesting
0: well well, that's good that's healthy
1: yeah 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 i still have
0: so you mentioned john i am i correct in saying that you have publicly um an an open relationship Mm
1: -hmm. yeah yep that's kind
0: of an interesting topic uh that i would never have been able to crack i've never uh I've never been able to pull that one off. Um, not that I've really put a ton of effort in, but I did try it a few years ago and it didn't work out very well. So um, yeah. what's uh, what's the down low with open relationships?
1: Yeah, I think um, what you said about trying it and it not really working out, There's from what, from what I've learned and from what, we, what we've experienced, um, I've only been in this relationship in an open relationship. So I'm not the expert end-all be-all of them in general. And anybody who tries it as like, let me see how this goes. I always kind of say it's contextual based on the relationship that you're in. And it brings up, it's kind of like a psychedelic experience because it brings up anything that's percolating under the surface to be worked on. So if you're bringing other people in, and whatever capacity you're, you're choosing to do that, or you're experimenting to do that, or you need to do that based on, you know, some people um, identify as polyamorous people rather than just trying it out as a lifestyle. So depending on the extent to which you're doing that, what it, what it's done for me anyway, is it's brought up what is, what needs to be worked on in the primary relationship, whether that's feelings of safety and security or feelings of, um, or just like, integrity and in communication or, um, core wounding from childhood or past relationships that's still left unresolved and not, and not integrated. So it'll bring up whatever is really there. And that's, that's what we've experienced quite a bit, which has been, um, it's what it's done again, similar to psychedelics has allowed us to integrate what has been unresolved. And, it's funny, I keep comparing because it's like what i was what I was going to say is, um it's like this accelerated kind of path where I don't know if I would have had these the things that I've had come up come up had we not been practicing in an open relationship as quickly as they did. Maybe they would have eventually come up in like ten years, but it's been some pretty deep stuff, and some of the things, you know, some sometimes it can cause too much trauma or too much overwhelm like emotional overwhelm. So if you find yourself in that space where it's too emotionally overwhelming or it's bringing up too much stuff and it's unable to be resolved, um that's it totally makes sense cuz it can activate quite a lot. It's like taking too many too many psychedelics or doing too many journeys where you're not integrating things. So a lot of integration is required. Um what we found is like, it's, uh, it's really for helped us commit, like deeply, deeply commit to one another is like, we're lifelong partners, so long as we can um, maintain integrity and maintain choosing each other over and over. So it's been this interesting kind of initiation into marriage in a way, like we're going to be getting engaged and stuff. So it's, Oh, great. Things are going great with us. It's it's beautiful, but it feels like an initiation into like this is what deep committed partnership looks like. If you're going to be bringing external things in, you better be really foundationalized in your primary relationship. And not everybody has it like that. Not everybody has like husband and wife or whatever kind of relationship setup that you're in. Non cis hetero relationships as well. Not everybody has just primary relationship, and that's not everybody's dynamic and setup. But the core of what's there, the core of what's required is emotional, physical, sexual, spiritual, energetic safety and groundedness and connection and um, ability to emotionally process things with each other, validate each other's experience, be able to maintain each other's like boundaries and the speed at which you're at which you're doing things and trying things, but also being committed to each other's truth, your truth, their truth and the truth that holds the relationship together. And it's like anybody who's married, I would say is that's the same advice they would give. Hmm. So all open relationship does aside from the the benefits of it, which are like more love, more connection with other people, more, um, you know, people that value novelty, newness, um, exploration sexual expression emotional expression things like that that's sure. that's what it is for us like we really value those things as as human beings um, but yeah I would say that like it requires the same thing that any really long-term committed relationship requires it just brings more up to the surface more quickly I think
0: <laughs> yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah sure it's kids bit,
1: do the same thing you know it,
0: it's a bit of a toss-up isn't it Like. To have the newness and the novelty and that and that ability to be excited about a new partner, right? You have to go deep on your own issues. You have to make sure yeah. that you are putting the effort into processing your own issues, and Pretty in much. and in mastering your own emotions. And I think that yeah, that's hard. It's really hard oh, yeah. when you're not like, easy. <laughs> yeah, I like I said, I have not. I have not had a uh, great uh, history with that although I I do find myself yeah wanting newness and novelty and you know getting excited about other possible opportunities but you know if it's not permitted it's not permitted and you have to you have to honor the sanctity of the relationship so and the agreements yeah. between parties right it's really come down comes down to the agreements you form
1: Yep yeah and and uh yeah, maintaining the agreements and continuously checking in about those agreements. And I think in the beginning of the podcast, we talked about up personality upgrades or like sense mm-hmm. of self upgrades. And I think that's possible mm-hmm. without psychedelics. I think it's possible just in, in transformation. But what I've learned about myself is that there's an awesome book. I forgot who the, who the author is. John's reading it. It's on my bookshelf called Personality Isn't Permanent by oh benjamin hardy and it's all about how your personality is malleable and there are, like we talked about there are parts of our personalities that feel mm-hmm. so um like like that's who our soul is and that's like who we are at the core and i do believe that there that still exists and i also believe that a lot of personality traits like for me introversion is a personality trait that I used to cling on to a lot more than I do because I used to, Mm. looking back, feel like my needs and desires and boundaries didn't matter. So I would just, instead of confronting that and working through it, I would just be like, I get tired around people. So having confronted Mm. that and worked with those three things, my boundaries, my needs, and my desires, speaking them, sharing them, maintaining them, enforcing them, I am less tired around people, so there's malleability to who we think we are, and there is ability to to change and to upgrade if we're willing to if we're if we value the growth enough or if we value the relationship enough, I think it has to be there has to be like a driver underneath change
0: how How many of your clients are interested in working with? with this how do the how do these topics we just discussed like enter into your coaching work yeah. and what exactly what exactly are you doing with yeah. your clients yeah
1: yeah so i do um i do business coaching but because of my experiences in the world um what ends up happening is i essentially help people get really clear on what's driving them to make any sort of business decision and not make decisions based on things they think they should be doing, they who they think they should be, or something rooted in unresolved and unintegrated emotional reaction. And that was me for for a long time. I was building something because I thought I had to be a certain type of person or I would make business decisions to appease other people or I would... Um, I got really burnt out twice before I was 25. And I was like, am I going to be a 25-year-old with adrenal fatigue? I don't know about that. What am I doing here? And I had to really question myself. And um, I see that so much with social media. And my book that I'm writing is about how social media can be used as a mechanism for conscious awakening, which is Mm, super interesting interesting about how we can use the platform as a mirror to see what our stuff is and, and how we can actually anchor in our authenticity and it's so noisy there's so much input and we're inputting and we're consuming so regularly that it's very easy to see what everybody else is doing on a regular basis and compare and to not even just consciously compare but to unconsciously be in that comparative state like it's this uh super unconscious very kind of back of the mind state that we're just looking at somebody else we're looking at ourselves and we're like are we right are we wrong um are we good enough are we not good enough are they better are we worse um are we doing the right thing are we doing the wrong thing so what i do with people is i help them really like of course business strategy pricing offer development marketing all of that stuff yes and i help them get into alignment first and i help them figure out who they are What's really driving them? What matters to them? What they really care about? Do you really care about having a $30 million company? Or are you down to actually have like a couple hundred thousand bucks a year when you're doing the exact right thing that you want to be doing? And that's a huge difference. That's gonna right. completely change yeah. the way you show up.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm kind of facing one of those decisions right yeah, now. I'm sure. You know? Yeah. Do you take the do you take the The safe and and you know less risky road or that that allows more lifestyle freedom and free time and flexibility and and lower stress levels and all that good stuff or do you go balls to the wall and uh try to make a bigger mark on the world um with a much more complex and risky project. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I like that question too. Cause it's always, it's like, it depends on, of course, what you value. But with that type of question, I've always kind of gone to spirituality to help me answer that one. Because it's like, if you go to what you value, if you value freedom and relaxation and all those things, you can be like, all right, well, I value this. So I'm going to pick this. But, what do I value over here? the more complex nuance, maybe working harder? Do I value leaving a legacy it's It's less about values at that point and more about like accessing your intuition and connecting to what makes sense for you as like a channel for your mark on the world to do next, and like what feels mm. Alignment can oftentimes feel like ease, but it's not always the easiest choice. Alignment can sometimes be the harder yeah. choice. Right? So it's, it's more about that yeah. like, even if this is hard, does this feel or can I access what what is like the most spiritually aligned for me to do next rather than what's the easiest or what's going to make me feel better in my day to day. And some, and it could just be what's most aligned for me is to feel better. Like for me, when I was really burnt out, I chose to not scale my business because I realized that that wasn't the business I wanted to scale. And I didn't know what I was going to do next. And I was like, I'm just going to do some coaching. I'm going to see what happens. And then now I, I'm uh, I partnered with somebody in a new business that's my my baby and I feel like it's going to be my big mark on the world and we're going to scale that one together but I would have never done that had I made the other choice
0: hmm. interesting yeah. I don't know if that that's either. that's very interesting to think yes absolutely absolutely what um, do you think
1: about that for you
0: well uh, I wonder if I'd lie to myself sometimes right about stuff like this. Yeah. Um, because there's a lot of assumptions in the mix. And on the one hand, yes, I, I believe ethically that I should do everything in my power to, to contribute the most I possibly can, to work the hardest I possibly can at this time, because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, I'm 39 years old. I've got maybe 10 more years where I want to really be grinding it out. And at the same time, I also don't want to take a lot of risk right now. I also enjoy having free time. I also want to travel less. You know, I, I, I kind of like my routine. I like having an after a whole afternoon to go for a hike in a, gym session, you know, three times a week and, you know, I like not having to worry about uh, my business going under, you know, like Soltara's is pretty stable yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, I, I, I felt certain, you know, I actually did a ceremony a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks mm-hmm. ago. And the message I got was like, level up, scale up, you know, take more risk, yeah get better. And then, yeah, I'm just wondering if I'm lying to myself when I say that or, yeah, it's an
1: interesting question. And there's a lot of variables too. I'm curious if level up. I've had that too. I've had that where um, like the ethical concern or even like the concern, like where you, I felt this feeling of, I have the ability to do more. And to help more, and to, so, so should. I should. And that yeah. that was pretty crippling. And um, for me, the feeling of obligation was an indicator. Like I kept coming back to feeling obligated, like I should, I have to, I need to, and that felt like an indicator that it wasn't it wasn't fully like doing something because you feel like you need to isn't a good enough reason for me. Um, if there's other reasons, if there are other, if I feel like I should, that shouldn't be the core reason or like the first reason there should be other reasons or other drivers or other values that I get to live by taking that action or doing that project or doing that thing.
0: I, 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 I like Elon Musk as an entrepreneur he's he's probably my greatest hero in life and you know I I look at his commitment, and this guy puts in he he sacrificed he sacrificed and he sacrifices so much for what he believes is the right thing and that nobody else can do what he's doing so he's doing it all he's he's building the electric cars he's changing the energy infrastructure he's sending people to space He's giving us a global internet service that's going to open up all these underserved areas. He's transforming the planet, yet he's costing himself 100 hours of, of work and a ton of stress. And, right. You know, he's probably not living the healthiest lifestyle. He's put on a little bit of weight, right. you know. And it's like, I really like my lifestyle. Yeah. You know, yeah. I really do so, but I also feel like he's a really good example, and it's it's just a good thing to do to contribute as much as you can
1: yeah yeah it's, so. a, it's a it's a whole <laughs> argument. I totally agree with you like i um I think there are people in the world that almost turn themselves into robots to serve the mission, and that's okay like that's that's their choice, and it's not a bad choice at all. It's obviously serving a lot of people and putting yourself aside. And you know, it's all it's everyone's different with like their with their choices and what they value like and what they think is important for them. Um and and yeah, it's it's such a it's such a hard question to answer cuz it's so individual, but it's a good conversation to have and a good thing for everyone to sit with for themselves. Like do I do I agree with the or is it is it for me the lifestyle business, the lifestyle where I can do what I can and then also have what I want or is it for me that I sacrifice myself for the greater good and that's okay too and it's such a personal question. Yeah,
0: I would, uh, if you're taking clients, I would love to have a Let's one-time conversation with you and uh, share some specifics. Let's do it. I'm in. Be, that'd be amazing. Oh, great, great. We can talk after. Um, so, do you want to talk a little bit about your book maybe and then we'll yeah. wrap it?
1: Yeah, I'm or- excited. Yeah, yeah. Sure. I'm, um, okay. I'm in the middle cool. of getting my book. Uh, I sent it over to my agent, so it'll be out next year. But the book is essentially about how to utilize social media as a space to access your purpose and your alignment and who you are, who you really are. And it helps the modern day content creator essentially. So anyone that's making content online that's dealing with the challenges of what it, what it means to be a content creator and the additional layer of Struggle that you have based with your identity, with who you think you are, because it's essentially an extension of our identity and we're putting it on platforms. So we're like filtering ourselves all the time. So it can create such a warped sense of self and a warped sense of mm-hmm. who we are and what the world is and what reality actually is. And, you mm-hmm. know, movies like or documentaries like The Social Dilemma are great. But they put the onus on the big companies to fix things, and I'm putting the onus and the responsibility back on the content creator to support themselves to really change their relationship with the platform. Yeah,
0: that's amazing. That's that's uh, very exciting. I mean, I'll I'll definitely be picking that one up. You know, we've kind of got into this world of of trying to create content, and and it's uh, it's a puzzle. It really yeah. is to figure out and, and, and how do you show up in the world? How do you transmit your values? How do you transmit, um, good quality, valuable content yeah. as well? And
1: yeah. 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 And show up for people, show up for yourself. Um, you know, there's, there's so much there. There's a lot about shadow work in there. There's a lot about, um, different stages of personal branding and becoming yourself. and The different um, things that we have to deal with, with cancel culture and trolling, but also um, being an advocate for the things that you stand for and all of the things that people project onto you as a content creator as well. Um, So it's like a survival guide (laughs) for social media in the modern day.
0: Yeah. Beautiful. Well, congrats on that. Um, And people can find you at amandabucci.com. You're on all social media channels. You have a YouTube channel. you got a podcast
1: podcast is Bucci radio. And then um, at Amanda Bucci on Instagram is the place where I hang out the most.
0: Right on. Well, thank you so much for making the time today. Uh, I know you're very busy. You booked this appointment like six or seven weeks ago. And so I've been looking forward to it. And, uh, yeah. So, uh, thanks again. I really enjoyed our chat and, um, We'll talk later about, uh, about a coaching yeah, session. Yeah,
1: thank you so much for having me here today, too.
0: Looking forward to it. The Daniel Cleland Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today for the Daniel Cleland Podcast. We truly enjoy you sharing your time with us. If you enjoyed the episode as much as we enjoyed sharing it with you, please like, the episode review the podcast subscribe if you're not already subscribed these likes and reviews and subscriptions are the lifeblood of our show so free for you super important for us like subscribe and review thank you so much of course this podcast would not be possible without the continued Amazing sponsorship of Soltara Healing Center in Costa Rica. If you feel called to work with plant medicines, ayahuasca, shamanismo, curanderismo from Peru, from the Peruvian Amazons to Costa Rica, check out Soltara Healing Center at soltara.co or conveniently one eight hundred three nine seven one seven three zero, 397 1730 or look us up on social media at Sultara Healing Center. All kinds of great content, non-stop, coming out down the pike every day just for you. Thanks again so much for joining. I appreciate it beyond words and I look forward to doing many more of these episodes for you and connecting if you want to reach out to me there's a contact form on my website danielcleeland.com feel free to hit me up i read every email and try to respond to all of them thanks again much love to you and i hope we get to catch up soon all the best